0: This week on Plot Points Podcast, the OGs are back together. We discuss the enduring style of Ian Fleming, and we argue over who the best Bond is. Daniel Craig! This is Plot Points Podcast.
1: this is Mark from Plot Points Podcast. My last name is Sevi. I never do say it. I always forget to. I don't know why. I'm assuming you know who I am, which is, why would you? Uh, We're coming to you uh, full table. Um, The OGs are back. Mary Claire Mm -hmm. is back from her wedding. Back. And and I'm (laughs) sure she's feeling a huge sense of relief.
0: And happiness. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I'm glad. I'm sad. I'm glad and sad that it's over. It's a lot of uh, Emotions—they're yeah. hard to navigate.
1: Really? Like, like—oh, never mind. It's that's personal. <laughs> I—I—I've I, never been married, so I don't know what that feels like. Was it emotional when you were doing your vows?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like it, which was surprising. Like all of a sudden I was kind of looking around and reading the room and everybody was crying and I was like, wait a second. <laughs> But, um, but it was really nice. It was mm-hmm. a really beautiful ceremony and it just, you're feeling everything, you know, it's like this type of elation you're so happy and, but also you're seeing so many people like, so it's just like, it's emotionally, you know, exhausting. Like I slept for like 12 hours straight, uh, after, after the wedding. So, mm-hmm. uh, but it's the best kind of feeling for sure.
1: So, uh, good. And we also have, uh, sitting to my left, uh, Toby Walwork.
2: And this is the sound of my voice.
1: So I met some podcast fans. Um, that was a really great experience. <laughs>
0: uh, I don't have all their names. Um, I think it's you can say that it was at my wedding. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so Mark sat at a table with uh, with the Peterson family, <laughs> who are big fans of the podcast, uh, Thomas Luan. Emma, Brian, uh, all were clamoring to speak with Mark. I couldn't believe it, but. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> no, I, I knew when I put him at that table, I was like, I don't have to worry about him. He's going to be in well, uh, you know, he's going to be in good hands. And uh, and yeah, they all loved speaking with him. So
1: it was um, <laughs> it was great to talk to people who actually have heard the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, we're, we're we're slowly gaining an audience, mm-hmm. but it it does take time. And so, those of you who are listening, we do appreciate your uh, your loyalty. And
0: uh, I can't tell you how excited they'll be to to hear that they got a shout out on the podcast. Oh, well, <laughs>
1: that's why I wanted to do it. So, uh, so guys, I really did appreciate <laughs> your uh, your wonderfulness. It was plus the wedding was just my God, off the hook. <laughs> uh, Mary chain. Claire was. Not drop dead drunk for most of it, so. I was
0: a little tipsy. <laughs> it was my wedding. <laughs> like, so, you, I think so. I think you were. Yeah, I had somebody follow me around with a champagne bottle. <laughs> so. Yeah, you
1: your own, Great service. You had your She's own champagne surpa. Shir- yeah. Yeah. It good. was amazing. Good. I fell in
0: love with that guy. <laughs> well,
1: Anyway. So thanks to our fans. Um, even if I don't get to meet you, we do appreciate it. If you have any suggestions, where can they go to, Mary
0: Claire? You can go to Plot Boys Podcast, or if you're a personal friend, send me a text. No. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, no, Plot Boys Podcast. Send us your comments, questions. We love hearing feedback, or any of our social media channels. Yeah,
1: or 919 Scripts, which is the uh, phone number that's hooked up to the website. So That's
2: right, the voicemail and uh, other messages of... Positive well-being. Yeah, would yeah. love would really love to hear. Feedback. So, <laughs>
1: um, so uh, again, we have. Uh, so we'll be a little bit. It'll be interesting in the next couple of weeks because we have people dropping in and out. Toby, you're heading for Chicago.
2: I'm off to Chicago. I leave Thursday. Mm-hmm. I will be there for just uh, just over a week, ten well, days all together.
1: This is one of the more interesting things, I, I think, about you. I don't know anybody who does this. So you're the only person in my universe who does this, which is?
2: I'm, uh, I'm involved with – I have to be careful because they might listen. I don't want to take too much credit. <laughs> uh, I'm involved with the Chicago International Real Shorts Film Festival, which has been running in the city of Chicago for – this is our 14th. I had to wow. count uh, 14th. So it's been 13 years. Well, technically, because it was a whole year to get everything going. But either way, we've been doing it for way too long. Mm-hmm. And um, I have uh, I love doing it. Go out there. We do a film festival, uh, different uh, locations. This year we're with, gosh, I, I believe it's called the Chicago Filmmakers Association, which is an organization that helps filmmakers, especially starting out with resources and uh, information and that kind of thing. Basically the challenge uh, as it has been since we started is to uh, get exposure for new filmmakers and short films are they're kind of an odd uh, duck because rarely do people go out of their way to see them but a lot of filmmakers use them as calling cards um, and exposure is a big problem, a big issue because um, while it's true that anybody can put anything on YouTube, uh, it's impossible or difficult to make yours stand
1: out and people really need some help. Hi, I'm uh, inserting this into the mix, so it'll sound a little different, but uh, I realized that I got a bit off track during the podcast, and we had some technical difficulties, and I forgot to mention another fan I met at MC's wedding, Ellen Anderson. Hey, Ellen, thank you for your wonderful support from the beginning of this project. Toby, MC, and I truly all appreciate it. It was great to meet and speak with you. Okay, um, so what are we uh, what are we doing now? We're going to talk about. <laughs> I'm sorry, we had some technical issues, so we're just getting back to this. Uh, what are we watching this week? Anybody uh, watching anything interesting? Th- let me start because I have okay. a very short one. I watched uh, a mini series called Fleming, the man who would be Bond. I watched a half of it. I didn't get a chance to see the second half, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was terrific. You guys know the actor Dominic Cooper, right? Because I didn't, yeah. but um, well, of
0: Mamma Mia fame, mom. <laughs> <laughs> he's a very well known. I like to think of him things. as
2: Tony Stark's father. He's also the preacher in preacher, yeah. but his work
1: in Mamma Mia should not be overlooked. <laughs> well, we're going to do an all Mamma Mia podcast at one point. No, I, what are you guys watching?
0: Blair? Um So in between the wedding, I was still able to squeeze in the first few episodes of Stranger Things Mm. of the second season, um, which I love. The first season, I think, really came as a surprise to a lot of people. Um, You know, it was just unexpected, you know, whether uh, you it was the excellent cast of newcomers, the writing, the directing, the 80s, like, production values. I mean, I thought it was really, really great television. And I think the second season uh you know the quality is better i i really think it's it lives up to the expectations so far i mean i'm really into it um i think it's still really compelling television i think it's well written it's deeply satisfying to kind of be back in the world um you know takes place in like hawkins indiana uh, indiana in the 80s and uh, and i really really like uh the world that they live within um so i'm i'm enjoying it a lot and i'm mixing that in between episodes of mindhunter and i'm almost done with that also so um so it's been a good week of television for me
2: <laughs> yeah well um i'm i'm doing like the exact same thing uh
1: you're watching the same P- shows? You too. i am
2: i'm watching the same and i'm alternating them yeah. and i'm really trying to pace myself <laughs> because they're awesome and i don't they want really them to are. be over yeah and one of the things i really love about both is um they're set in they're both period pieces mm-hmm. uh 1977 and uh not, at, well, not actually this year, they were very specific, and we're talking about November of mm-hmm. 1984 for uh, Stranger Things. And, um, I'm, I really like how they're doing it, but they're not, maybe they are, or maybe they're not. I don't think they are making the period a character. They're just saying, this is when it was. Mm-hmm. And really, it's just because, because if it was now, you have a cell phone, everything gets fixed, mm-hmm. Gormagon fixed, <laughs> this fixed, serial killer fixed, uh, so. <laughs> But uh, but one of the things I love is 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 the things that they have in common, the things that they have that are different. I'm really liking the second season of Stranger Things too because the first show was so it was so hyped and so anticipated, and then it was like sort of almost fetishized as far as like oh it's this and it's this and it's this. A lot of that is established now, so with the second season we can get to spend some time with the characters. Um, some people have said that they thought it was a little meandering like there's it's not, not as heavily plot driven
0: the second season the second
2: used? season and I'm not really having an issue with that at yeah. all
0: because I like the world so much so I don't really absolutely. care absolutely <laughs> and this
2: year this year way more than the first year. like the first season is definitely like this Spielbergian mm-hmm. thing this honestly is like it's like a fever dream of 80s Horror everything. movie, like it's it's like all of them had like a uh, a Cronenberg melty VHS tape that you still squeezed yeah, it's like into your TV. Alien, video like nightmare on Elm yeah, Street. Yeah, you just, just like video dromed everything you ever watched in the '80s and went like it's this, mm-hmm. you know. And your mom gave you a couple of children's chewable aspirin, but the fever. Uh, <laughs> Like, I just watched one episode, and I'm like, I'm watching, like, three movies all at once. Because it's like, this is happening, this is happening, mm-hmm. this is happening. Well, it's such um, a rich...
1: The 80s were so rich with... You know, there were a lot of things that were... Yeah,
0: because I would argue the... I'm sorry, but I would argue that the, the time period within Stranger Things is definitely a character a little bit. I mean, not so much in, in Hunter, but I, I, I do think that it's very present. They they love it. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah,
2: I, I, that's why I go back and forth mm-hmm. about am I saying it's a character or not? Because mm-hmm. it's like, it's it's a thing and we do it, but it's not like cutesy, nostalgia shots. Oh, but one of the things uh, I noticed is, you know, I'm watching, like I said, I revealing our ages, but I was... A little younger than those guys are, but I was mm-hmm. in the Midwest in the '80s, and so when they introduce characters, introduce music, um, they play an Oingo Boingo track, and my roommate <laughs> just goes, "That didn't come out till the year after." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh my God, were those people?" You are, yeah. So. And and just kind of to bring that back to you know our our area here, I think the writing is super solid on this show mm. because it's bringing up, it's it's not a lot of sequels, and we'll talk about this later. I hope. A lot of sequels are just do the first one again, mm-hmm. but up the stakes, turn up the volume, whatever. This time they're they're having like a lot of – they're bringing in new things. Uh, they're extending old things and um, I'm just – I think it's really solid. Like I, I think it's yeah. done very authentically and in a way that like younger people can still enjoy it even though it's outside of their time frame of, of – you know, it's like if this happened before I was alive, then I don't even want to watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, the kids'
0: dialogue is phenomenal, um, yeah. and I do I agree with Toby. I think the scope of the storytelling really broadens, and it's really ambitious too. Um, which you would think, yeah, maybe they would just you know hit it softly, you know, but no, really, they hit it kind of out of the park um, and go bigger. And I think that's really reflected. So it's awesome.
1: Yeah, I I thought it was well written too. Very 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 authentic, and didn't feel like there were too many false notes. Um, Not for me no. Yeah. So, all right. Well, um, we're going to talk more about uh, Ian Fleming, um, which is my focus for this week, and I've kind of changed it a little bit. Although I don't know if it's going to be successful. You know, the the fun thing about this podcast is we're still experimenting. We have a format. And we have a a sense of our rhythm, but there's these segments that take a while, sometimes they get tedious. And so I wanna but I did get a great compliment from one of the podcast fans about this was his favorite segment. So so now I'm unstoppable. I'm mm-hmm. my ego's out of control. Oh, no. yeah. So whoever that person was. <laughs> yes. thanks. Forget it. <laughs> thanks so much. <laughs> so um Ian, so I'm gonna do ten things about both Ian Fleming and James Bond. I don't think you can separate the two of them. Um even though Ian Fleming wasn't a, a screenwriter per se, his work is reflected in every facet of the movie industry. In fact, in 2019, we have a new Bond, a new movie coming out with, with Daniel Craig. So uh, I'm going to try to uh, keep this as, as brief. And then the other point of this is to allow my co-hosts to comment when they, when they want to without breaking the, uh, the thread of the narrative. So let me cover some background. Um, Ian Fleming Ian Lancaster Fleming was born into a wealthy influential family in England. He went to Eton and Sandhurst, which is a military academy. He started writing while he was in Austria and he joined reuters um, and and he gained some acclaim for a story he did on the royal on these rural engineers who were on trial for espionage in Russia, which may have led to a lot of what he ended up writing uh, with Bond um he wasn't good with most things his financial career his family owned a bank um, he worked for him and his mother pretty much thought he was worthless but um, he was then recruited into british naval intelligence and he achieved the rank of commander which was um, the james bond rank also yep. um, he was involved in world war ii in planning the covert operation golden eye which is what he named his uh, jamaican hideaway at and then of course the the movie or the book and um, he, I, in the miniseries, it's strongly suggested that this is this character is an extension of who he wanted to be, but other people have claimed that he potentially was there was a bond and he was just reporting uh, the facts. Now, of course, there weren't maybe oil spurting out of uh, cars and stuff like that, but as far as the the overall intelligence go, so um, his first book was Casino Royale, and it was it was uh, you know which is. With a lot of uh, authors, it was rejected by publishers. But Fleming's brother um, was instrumental in getting it to print. Um, he did twelve, I think thirteen in all, and two short story collections, which I have at home. They're they're pretty good. One of them is uh, the one of them is called *The Quantum of Solace*, which I didn't realize that was a short story. And um, his books have sold over a hundred million copies. Been made into dozens of movies and fictional accounts of the super spy known as 007. Who worked for MI MI six and had a license to kill are just mm. they're everywhere. He was a perfect product of his time, in my opinion. The world was just getting these electronic marvels like computers and and uh, phones and uh, not like we know them, but like um, radio you know radio uh, phones that were capable of uh, sk- sk- uh, spanning the globe, and also the the, uh, the 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 what would you call it the social aspect of the society. The permissiveness, the partying, you know, the the go-go, the discos, that kind of stuff. That was all right in the beginning um when he started his his book started to become popular. He wrote the first book, I think, in nineteen fifty-four, but it wasn't until the sixties or the late fifties that he started to really grab a hold. Um what was the first movie? Dr.
2: Doctor No nineteen
1: sixty-three. Ah. A man who knows his bond. <laughs> and it made a star of Sean Connery, who is there's an old saying that whoever you're introduced first to Bond, that's your Bond. So Sean Connery is my Bond. Who's your Bond? My Bond is uh, is Roger Moore.
2: Really? I'm not positive, but I think the very first film... The first film I remember seeing in a movie theater mm-hmm. was a Roger Moore, James Bond movie. Huh. And, and, and for the longest time, I had a
1: big soft spot for those films. For the Bond? For the Roger, Roger Moore, Moore bond, bond films. Yeah.
0: Mine's Pierce Brosnan. Yes. Pierce. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, he was... When, well, I talk about that later. So, but when I, I like him too. But he was such he was such an obvious choice for Bond mm-hmm. at at one point. So, um, so the winner of the, the the Sean Connery became Bond. But there was another actor named Peter Anthony, who dropped out, who was chosen first, and he dropped out because of stress. But these are some of the actors they also considered: Patrick, Patrick McGowan from The Prisoner, Richard Johnson, James Mason, Rex Harrison. David Niven, Trevor Howard, and uh, Cubby Broccoli, who was one of the producer's friend, Cary Grant. Oh, yeah. Grant would have made a really interesting bond, yeah. Fleming used uh, Connery's Scottish heritage in the next to the last book he wrote, uh, two were published posthumously, to infuse his character with a family which he had never done before. And... um, Connery was a departure for the for the book Bond because he didn't look like um, composer Hoagy Carmichael, who Fleming patterned Bond after, but the character himself was dull and plodding. Fleming has this quote, um, When I wrote the first one in 1953, I wanted Bond to be an extremely dull, uninteresting man to whom things happened. I wanted him to be a blunt instrument. When I was casting around for a name of my protagonist, I thought, by God, James Bond is the dullest name I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, we think of it as such a superhero name these days, mm-hmm. but that, that's not according to Fleming. Um, Connery retired from the Bond films in 67, but came back after Lazenby did his thing in
2: Her Majesty's Secret
1: Service. Did you see that in the theaters? No, I'm not that old. Oh, well, I did. It was pretty good. <laughs> It was actually pretty good. There's a ski sequence that's really epic in that one. Uh, I think they use snow cats down the mountain and stuff like that. So
2: It's also the first uh, Bond movie where James Bond cries. Mm. Can you name the second and only other James Bond movie where James Bond he cries? Cry,
0: Daniel Craig cried. He
2: have to. Daniel yeah. Casino Royale. Yeah. Daniel Craig cried and Casino Royale. Those yeah. are the two. He would have to.
1: Um, so let's see. So uh, Connery came back after Lazenby and did Diamonds Are Forever in 71. Um, he also did a non—Eon uh, Productions is the company that owns the Bond franchise, and he did a non-Eon film called Never Say Never Again in 1983, which was basically a remake of Thunderball. Um, the producers of the films had a series of issues after License to Kill. Eon Productions was involved in a legal dispute that put the films on a six-year hiatus, and I remember that thinking, what the heck's going on with Bond films? Of course, there wasn't—we you know, we couldn't mm-hmm. like just pick up the internet and find out, so— Uh, Pierce Brosnan was Bond when the films resumed, and Brosnan had been highly touted as becoming Bond early in his career, but the producers of of his TV series Remington, did you ever see Remington still?
0: Uh, Maybe like an episode or two. uh,
1: Yeah, uh, Stephanie Zimbalist, Mm -hmm. yes, yeah, uh, would not let him out of his contract, so Timothy Dalton stepped into the role for two movies. Anybody know Bond's birthday? Um, I feel like he's a Libra. Is it September 6th? <laughs> it's November 11th. Oh, so, Scorpio. It's six, six <laughs> days from now. It's pretty quick. And 1920, I guess, was okay. his original birthday.
2: But that's also um, more uh, Remembrance Day or Armistice Day is, is what they call it. In, uh, oh, here. really? Yeah. November 11th? So it's Veterans Day.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: But it was also uh, – because um, I think they had the first one was in World War One. Mm. was 11-11.
1: Oh, right. Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, name the actors who have played Bond. Okay, now this... And how many movies? This well, is a full-on did. trick
2: question. No. <laughs> oh. See, there's definitely a trick question here because uh, the, the first time that James Bond was ever put on the screen was Casino Royale, but done for television. And that was Jimmy Bond, who was an American actor named Nelson. Yes. something Again, ladies... I'm available, I'm single.
1: <laughs> All right, who else has played Bond? So we, we talked right. about uh, Sean, Connery, Sean Connery, George Lazenby, Roger Moore, Dalton, Brosnan, Roger Craig. Daniel Craig. Daniel, Daniel Craig.
0: Craig. <laughs> what
1: did I put Roger? Roger
0: Craig's a football player. Now
1: we
2: also have David Niven, Woody Allen, Yep. and a bunch of other people whose names I don't remember because there was another version of Casino Royale made. Directed by, I had like a bunch of different directors. That used to be my favorite James Bond movie because it makes fun of all the James Bond movies. Right. It's, a, really? it's a, it's a, pati- it's, a it's a satire, oh, it. spoofy thing. Yeah,
1: it It had, uh, it had Peter Sellers as L- L- <laughs> Evelyn Tremble. That's right. Well, as- he
2: had an unbeatable, uh, he had an unbeatable Baccarat uh,
1: right uh, method. Right, Ursula Andress, who was the first Bond girl, mm-hmm. exactly, uh, was in it. Uh, now listen to the screenwriters: uh, Wolf Mankiewicz, John Law, Michael Sayers. Ian Fleming, Woody Allen, Peter Sellers, Billy Wilder, uh, Val Guest, who I, I don't know, Ben Hecht, who was one of the who's in the Writers Hall of Fame, Joseph Heller, and Terry Southern were all contributing writers. Um, so uh, my that was number seven. I'm not using the numbers, so that's already a fail. But number six, um, I'm going to go through some of the Bond tropes, which I think are really amazing, like the opening gun barrel sequence. Where Bond uh, spins and shoots at the mm-hmm. camera was first introduced in the very first Bond film, Doctor No. So think about how, how uh, ahead of its time that was. It was very, very stylized. Um, it was considerably shorter and not quite as dramatic, but it did evolve into what I think is the one of the film's signature or one of the franchise, one of the Hollywood signature openings. Yeah. The music themes they have become legendary. Anybody know where the first? Who did the first Bond theme? Yeah, I didn't think you went this deep. So John yeah. Barry? No, no, no. It John was John Barry. Uh, no, it was done by Byron Lee and the Dragonairs. It was okay. called Obviously. Kingstone <laughs> Calypso, a.k.a. A- a- three Blind Mice. And in the opening sequence, they actually show three old men with canes. They don't, and they go into Three Blind Mice. It's really bizarre. Yeah, I know. Wait, it's, is this
2: at the beginning of Doctor No? Yeah. Or? Okay.
1: Yeah. And then, of course, uh, the signature, you know, dum 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 who was that written by? Now, you mentioned one, a guy who's, who's supposedly claimed that he wrote that, which was John, John Barry, yeah. but his name is Monty Norman.
2: Monty Norman. Yeah,
1: and he's, he's gotten um, credits for that, or, or what do they call it, royalties for that royalties. ever since. So imagine yeah. how rich he is, yeah. Got to find that guy. Um, Shirley Basie, Tom Jones, Nancy Sinatra, Lulu, Paul McCartney, Madonna... And most recently, Adele and Sam Smith, along with dozens of others, wrote or sang for Bond films. My personal favorite is "The Spy Who Loved Me."
2: Carly Simon, yes. But you did skip. Um, I skipped a bunch yeah. of them. Yeah, but actually, my favorite one is "You Know My Name" from Casino Royale by
0: Wait uh, Cornell. Or yeah, wait, yeah, Chris Cornell. Cornell. That's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, like my that favorite Bond theme. Well, I and... like I like Skyfall. I like Adele's actually. Mm. She won the Academy. She won an award Academy. Award for Academy for so did yeah. Sam Smith actually? As right, well. they mm. did.
1: Mm. Yeah, I just something about Carly Simon. I that song was huge when I was a kid, right? And the the lyrics are very Bond like, you know. I mean, if you listen to the lyrics, they really talk to the to the theme of the the whole Bond series, not just that episode. So, nobody does it better. Was composed by, that's the Carly Simon song, Bert Bacharach. Mm -hmm. You're really close, Martin Marvin Hamlish. Oh my God, with lyrics by Carol Bayer-Sager. Carol, yeah, well, yeah. And um, but who did um, who did the theme for? Never Say Never Again. Okay, now that that's kind
2: of like the quasi-fake Bond nah, movie.
1: That's, uh, I'm wrong on that. Never mind. Oh? But Burt Bacharach did do a theme. He did uh, The Look of Love. The Look of Love, which is
2: in Casino, Casino Royale. Royale. Right, right. Technically the second, or mm-hmm. possibly the first, but the
1: knockoff one. Right, the spoof. Um, so the cars and the high-tech gadgets, another... Uh, oh I thought I thought you were going to say the cars did, did the so music I'm like yeah, I got to go back too. and watch Rico that Rick no <laughs> yeah. Rick Ocasek never got that far. Uh, but no the cars I you know were most of them were uh, were tricked out. Uh, what was the major bond car for most of the series?
2: That would of course yes. be the Aston Martin DB5.
1: Well, DB, but the DB series. No, no, series. Mark. There's, it's the Aston Martin DB series. <laughs> There's the 5, the 9, and the 10 was the last but one. But yeah. the 5. Yes, yes. Uh, but there was also, I think there was also in between. Uh, we'll have to oh, check yeah. it. But
2: that's the die-cast Corgi action figure that I used I, to hit my friend with. I so have I it So I remember it vividly. Yeah,
1: absolutely. But uh, Toyotas, Bentleys, Mercury, Cougars, of all things. Yeah, the 70s were a terrible. For, <laughs> Ford Mustangs, AMC Hornets. Yeah, the Bronze Bond. Oh, uh, my these, God. These,
2: these are all cars that only Roger Moore would allow right. in the movie.
1: Lotus Esprit, Citro- Citrons, and to name a few were free- featured, which were normally either concept cars at the time or were these manufactured from these manufacturers and models soon to be released. And they, they're still doing that to this day. Um, many of the cars were outfitted to blow smoke, oil, or flame from the back or have ejection seats. Some could travel underwater like the Esprit. Uh, all were tricked out depending on the specific need of the show, which I always found interesting because just the thing that he happens to need mm-hmm. to get away from the villain, they happened to put it in the car that that <laughs> during that movie. What was the very first Bond car? You'll never get this. It's,
2: no, no. It, it would just be that he was – well, let's see. If it's Dr. No, it's just like some rental car he picked up from Avis on <laughs> Jamaica. So uh, an MGB.
1: It was a baby blue sunbeam Alpine. It's basically the same car. It would be. A, I think you would be. A, it would be a car you would like. It's very. It's yeah. very cute. I'm familiar with that yeah. car. Um, the latest Bond, uh, the last one, Spectre had a had the jaw dropping Aston Martin DB10, which was only created. It's a bespoke. It's the first ever bespoke Bond car. It was created specifically for the mm-hmm. series. So, okay, Bond's guns. Mm. Walther PPK. Walther PPK. I, I can go through the- some
0: of these because I played extensively GoldenEye on N64. So, let's see, the Gestavo uh, the Soviet, <laughs> the golden gun, is that on there? <laughs> of course. Only hands, only slappers. <laughs> uh, the RCP-390, what else is on there? The assault rifle, that was my, my favorite one. All right, well,
1: the first, uh, for the first five books, not the movies, <laughs> there were Beretta, it was a Beretta 418. And then Fleming got a letter from a retired Army major who felt the Beretta was a lady's gun and suggested the Walther. And so that was for the books. Now, in the movies, it was always the Walther PPK. And the, the Walter P99 is alternated with that, with that model. You should
0: know that gun sucks in N64. <laughs> that was my least favorite <laughs> they're not, gun.
1: They're not supposedly – The, they're the not PPK is prone to jamming.
0: Yeah, I know. It doesn't go fast <laughs> enough, the reload. It's right. terrible. I've never
1: seen one in my life. <laughs> but I know that they're prone oh, no, to they're, jamming. They're cool-looking gun, cool guns. But my friend who's a gun dealer says they're crap. So uh, <laughs> anyway. And in fact, I think they make him trade it in a couple of times yeah. for a Glock or a um, – um, yeah. uh, uh, I can't think of the Sig the Sig Sauer. <laughs> Okay, Bond Girls, another trope. Um, The most beautiful women in the world have played Bond Girls. Uh, Ursula Andress, Honor Honor Blackman, Shirley Eaton. She was the uh, Mm gold-painted girl in uh, Goldfinger. Uh, Aikiko Wakaspashi. I I, I can say that easily. (laughs) I'm sure you got that
2: 100% right. (laughs) Yeah, I did.
1: That's how they say it in Japan. Uh, Diana Rigg, Jane Seymour, Barbara Bach, and Halle Berry. There were 75 Bond Girls in all so far. Uh you wanna you wanna hear the, some of their names like Wait uh, Christmas Jones? Yes. That's Sidney's yeah. Richards, that's yes. one of my favorites. That's uh, from The World Is Not yeah. Enough. Yeah.
0: Uh who's Terry Hatcher's character? Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, I don't know. There's a bunch of good ones. Yes.
1: Mary Goodnight. Yep. Yeah. Uh Man with Golden Gun. Strawberry Fields. Uh Honey Rider. <laughs> uh Octopussy. Uh in Octopussy. Well, uh Doctor Molly Warmflash. <laughs>
2: Plenty O'Toole. Yes, I do remember Plenty O'Toole. Xenia
1: Anatop. Oh, yeah. that's I right. Like her. That's right. Which Goldeneye. is
2: uh, – um, oh, gosh. I just forgot who that was. But that's from Goldeneye, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah
1: she, she was in one of my movies. Uh, um, yeah, Famke. Famke Jansen. Yeah, she was in one of my films. Uh, I don't – I think it was after – I think I rocket her to fame and, uh, and probably – That's yeah. probably why you get the Christmas exactly. basket. Yeah, exactly. You. I do. I do. Dr. Doctor, Doctor Holly Goodhead. Dolly, yeah. Dr. F- Holly Goodhead, uh, View to a Kill. Uh, Moonraker Moonraker mm. sorry and p- what's the most probably the most famous uh, name Bond girl name
2: uh, I, I gosh I decided not to say it and forgot uh, Pussy Galore Pussy Galore oh, yeah. I was going to say A Lot of Vagina which is uh,
0: <laughs> that's an Austin Powers from Austin yeah. Powers
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> which is also an unofficial Bond movie because they they hit all the tropes yeah. sincerely oh
1: yeah, oh, yeah. Um, like uh, like author Conan Doyle uh, who is Sherlock Holmes Fleming is known firstly and mostly by his Bond character this is number five But he also wrote the novel Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Um, He also was co-creator of the TV series Man from Uncle, which got me started on this because I signed Man from Uncle, uh, the movie, to my class and then realized that it was Ian Fleming who came up with the original concept. Um, Fleming also wrote several nonfiction books, including uh, travel books, about those uh, cities he'd visited in Europe. So he was pretty prolific. I mean, 13 books. he, he He didn't have a huge, long career, but he did have a really good one. So, uh starting with Brosnan, the character of Bond was re-engineered to be more sensitive to his seemingly misogynistic and uh <laughs> Wait, nature. I'm sorry.
2: Do you have seemingly in quotes? Yeah, n- not <laughs> really. It's open to interpretation.
1: Uh, well, I mean, it was he was a product of his time. He yes. Was, yeah, so. Uh, that transformation continued and was enhanced even further by the Daniel Craig's Bond, which I think Daniel Craig is just a fantastic Bond. I don't know about you guys. I think he's Yeah, wonderful. I agree. Uh M in uh, the Bond movies of uh, the Daniel Craig calls him a bully boy, and that's very true. But by the time Spectre came along, uh, Bond had fallen in love, lost his love, mourned her by and then by quitting the service. And then I think in Spectre he's pretty much returned to um the, the mm-hmm. Bond that, that uh you know, they had to, what how many movies there was Quantum of Solace and then um uh Skyfall, Skyfall. Skyfall. And Spectre. Yeah, before. so yeah. Uh, so that's number three. That was number four. Number three, um, no discussion of Bond would be complete without mentioning the amazing villains. Blofeld, Dr. No, Le Chiffre, Jaws, Largo, to mention a few, played by great actors like Donald Pleasants, Anthony Dawson, Telly Savalas, Christopher Waltz, Javier Bardem, and my favorite, Mads Mikkelsen. Mm. At one point, Fleming felt... So this is interesting. At one point, Fleming felt that the Cold War would not last. He thought it was going to be over in two years. So instead of him making his villains Russian or East German and making them political, he made them um, industrialists. So Ernest Stavro Blofeld was basically a CEO, not really political, and uh, that proved not to be true, of course, at the end of the Cold War. But the idea of great wealth being inherent, uh, being uh, a, of a man of great wealth being inherently insane and evil, mm-hmm, was popularized by Fleming. Since in my opinion, I think without a great villain, you don't have a great movie. These men and women were essentially uh, the the core of the Bond films. Even though he's a superhuman, uh, he has to work against something. So personally, I think Elon Musk would make a great Bond villain (laughs) because he's so disarming. He would be good Mm -hmm. at it, don't you think?
2: That was Mark Seve's opinion, not necessarily
0: <laughs> my opinion.
1: <laughs> so there were a couple syndicates also that uh, that came out. A lot of these men ran syndicates. Schmirsch, Smir- Schmirsch, Schmirsch was one of them. I've forgotten about that. One called Shape. One called the Spectre is probably mm-hmm. the yeah. most yeah. Uh, the most famous one. Certainly the least embarrassing. <laughs> Quantum was another one. That was the mm-hmm. Harvey Air Bardem and the Janus syndicate were uh, – I uh, yeah, was so, traveling.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so we know. He's my favorite. I like Sean Bean. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. This
1: is number two. So we've talked about all the men who've played Bond, but one was missing, and Toby filled that in. Barry Nelson. Um, that was adapted for the for an hour long TV show for um, something called Climax Mystery Theater with uh, Peter Lorre as Le Schiff. and uh, I think that's the only credit uh, that Fleming has as a screenwriter. But he's He's got like a million of them as uh, characters, mm-hmm. you know, that adapted. Number one, Bond has also been adapted to radio, video games, and even comics. You know your work is successful when pe- people bother to spoof it. Something has to be pretty popular for anybody to even attempt to satirize it. I mean, if you're going to satirize something, it has to be something that people know, yep. or else it doesn't work mm-hmm. as a satire, right? Exactly. Besides the original Casino Royale parody, which we've talked about, uh, spoofs like Armand Flint... Uh, Matt Helm, Austin Powers, and hundreds of others poked gentle fun at our obsession with this character and the world Fleming created. And I think it's the world that's – as you talked about the world in Stranger Things, but the world in Bond is pretty damn impressive too. Um, And they seem to make it compelling every Mm -hmm. time. Um, There was also a glorious uh, BBC spoof. Uh, at the opening of the 2012 Olympics, did you see oh, that yeah. with the Queen and Daniel oh, Craig? Someone so told good. me about that, and because I didn't that see it, it didn't make any was sense fantastic. to me. It was. Danny Boyle did it, and it was great. Danny he Boyle directed. directed it. It, yeah. yeah, it was amazing. It was it was hilarious. I, I the Queen actually participated in it, in yeah, the it in the shooting funny. of it. And I like when
0: Voldemort came out. Go
2: ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, this again, this seems like one of those Stranger Things things, like everything you like,
1: all in one. It is movie. <laughs> that's why uh,
0: it was a great ceremony. Continue.
1: There's also um, the spinoffs. There's weren't taken more seriously, like the TV shows I Spy, The Man from Uncle, Matt Helm, which was a TV series. Also, La Femme Nikita is actually has some um, some some, do, oh, some and the Jack Ryan series. I think mm. um, the Jason Bourne series, obviously Mission Impossible, and both the series and the movies, and so on forever all existing because of one man's vision of a world that few of us have seen or will ever see. So in conclusion, I, the miniseries Fleming, The Man Who Would Be Bond, does a good job in covering a lot of information about a man, uh, perhaps behind the most famous fictional character in the world. I, I don't know if he or Sherlock Holmes would be more famous, but I, I think it's got to be a close...
2: I think. Yeah, I, I would say possibly... Like strictly box office, I'd probably say it's got to be Bond. Yeah, Bond is Bond. But but yeah, they're definitely popular culture uh, icons. Icons, Icons, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: Fleming once said uh, the quote, once is happenstance, twice is coincidence, three times is enemy action. I say three times and more is just pure genius. The guy was just one of those guys. There are at least 44 Bond adventure books with thousands more that try to copy or to quantify his magic. It's the longest-running continual movie series so far, um, $7 billion worth of box office, which it would be $16 billion adjusted for inflation. Number 25, which is coming up, um, or 27, depending on how you count the Bond films, is slated for 2019 with Daniel Craig coming back after swearing he would never do another Bond film. So all they did was open the vault and let him yeah. walk in and pick what he wanted. <laughs> um, it, my opinion this is just me it always feels like really like Christmas when you have either a Star Trek a Star mm. Wars or a James Bond movie we have Star Wars this year next year we get um, Bond yeah
2: 2019
1: yeah. and maybe we'll get a Star Trek movie too I don't or yeah I don't know um, I think Bond in my opinion is one of the few non-sci-fi or fantasy characters in other words he's not E.T. he's not Star Wars you know he doesn't live in space um, who always opens a movie? Always, even the even the ones that are considered yeah. uh, poor, poor versions of them uh, make a fortune. I, I don't. Even Jason Bourne can't do that. Ian Fleming would have been 110 years old this year. Uh, he died fairly young, but his enduring legacy, legacy is a silly character with a boring name on impossible missions who simply set the world on fire 64 years ago. Bond. James Bond. <laughs> I wish I could do that in a cool British accent, but Toby,
2: you try it. All right. I'll, well, now you see, and I under some pressure here. I can. I can. can, I, can I, I, I know I, you do this in your mirror. Every I, night, w- so I won't do go. my.
0: <laughs> <Okay>.
1: <laughs> I'm not well, going to deny that he's got he's got British relatives. But I will
2: do. Uh, can I can I do my uh, my incredibly good Sean Connery impression? Sure. Yes. Now sure. it's very Please. very brief. You have to literally pay attention. Here. All right. So I have to set it up because there's somebody else. So. Pretty sure this would be like Goldfinger would say this, but he goes, Mr. Bond, you are a spy. And then, of course, uh, Sean Connery goes, A spy? That's it.
0: That's it. Sorry. That's it. <laughs> My friend Kevin always
1: says, uh, calls the uh, the movie The Quantum of Solace, says, The Quantum of Solace. Of Shalish. The yeah. Quantum of Solace. I mean, Solish.
2: basically, if you just kind of shush, 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 yeah, then you, you can do you it. Got, you got but that's, that's a later year Connery with the, the second teeth or
1: whatever. All right, do Pierce Brosnan now. All right. Well, anyway, I loved uh, doing the research. I'm a big Bond fan. I One of my students um, gave me the entire collection wow. of Bond DVDs and I haven't opened them. They're just sitting on my shelf. So uh, they'll be there when I die. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have the car, a couple of the cars and stuff like that too. So it's it's always been a fascination. Yeah. Um, So this week in film history, we need like an echo effect on that. (laughs) History, 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 history. Well,
0: you touched on a few of the films. I mean, Bond, they're having a number of anniversaries. This is typically when they come out. You know, Skyfall hit its five-year anniversary this week as well as uh, Die Another Day is at year 15. So uh, those are bigger milestones for those films. But but another big milestone, uh, Cool Hand Luke Mm. turned 50 this week.
1: Amazing film. Yeah,
0: debuted in nineteen sixty seven, prison drama directed by Stuart Rosenberg, starring of course Paul Newman. Um, And it's you know set in the early what is it like nineteen fifties, and it's based on uh, Don Pierce novel of the same name. Um, Although it was rewritten uh, because he it was like a first time novel uh, apparently, but um, by Frank Pearson. But um, but Don Pierce it was. He was. It was based on like he. You know, he was in a criminal camp before, and so knew. He was on a chain gang. Yeah, he was on a chain gang. Yeah, and so knew of uh, like sort of an infamous Luke character who had escaped, uh, was a good poker player, banjo expert, um, and uh, and had eaten a bunch of eggs. So, um, so it's. I saw it when I was in college, and it really is kind of like a fight. The power, or you know, sort of like giving it to the man, and um, which is it was like right during the election when I watched it, the Bush Kerry election. Um, <laughs> but um,
1: giving it to the man, yeah, no,
0: but I mean, you know, kind of again, sort of like fighting the power in some sense. Yeah. So, um, so it's an interesting film for sure. All All right.
2: those? Now, also, I was gonna add Mark, I'm gonna set you up now. Mm. Strother Martin, yeah, the most famous line in the film
1: uh, what we have here <laughs> yeah. is failure to communicate. Mm-hmm. That's nicely true. done. Yeah. Nicely done. And then Plastic Jesus sung by uh Paul Newman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, he uh, learned it
0: himself. Yeah. And what's
1: it, who uh the character actor who just died? uh George, George Kennedy. Kennedy. Yeah. No? No. Oh. Uh,
0: oh, I I know what you're talking about. Um Shoot, what is his name? Yeah, he, he sang, um, he sang, yeah, he uh, just died. closer. Harry Dean Stanton. Han- oh, Dean. yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that film was Dennis with... Hopper's in it, too. Oh, right? yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just,
0: it um, seems to be at that time, call?
2: though. If you were just like making a movie, yeah, Dennis like, Hopper would show in. up. Yeah, and <laughs> he was already in well, costume, George Kennedy,
0: too. Yeah, yeah. In. yeah George Kennedy is like, I'll
2: get this plane on the ground. No, George, you didn't get that one. This is the other one.
0: Yeah, but. That's um, a great film. Yeah, a we long could legacy, we could spend
1: a a whole episode at least talking about the the motifs and the themes yeah, and yeah. the Plenty. the man with no mm-hmm. eyes and oh my god, I love that movie. Yeah. What else?
0: Um on the flip side, a little bit um Aladdin is <laughs> celebrating its Aladdin. 25th anniversary. Uh and I remember seeing that in theaters, really. A whole new world for, for for me and my family but um but it was kind of during that renaissance of disney animation you know coming off of the little mermaid and beauty and the beast and it's based on you know another um you know sort of older tale um of, of, sorry of, of aladdin you know and the king of thieves and um, but on you know a deeper level, it's about you know being true to yourself and finding the magic within. So mm. such a good. that was one of my favorite Disney movies for a really long time. We always used to reenact it, and I would choose to be the genie. Um, and so is that yeah. uh, Robin Wayne? Yeah, yeah, that was okay. Robin Wayne. Yeah. Yeah. I've never yeah. seen Aladdin. Oh my god! I know. I, I, I just know you should have seen the, the look. On her I don't face even know what to say that. to
1: that. <laughs> <Wait>, no, <laughs> but to be fair, you did know, you get my
0: whole new world reference? Yeah, okay. Yes, I got that.
1: Yeah, because Mike won't go with you.
0: <laughs> I forced him to go to a few of them. He definitely <laughs> saw Frozen on opening night. Oh, <laughs> so, Mike. and Coco's coming. <laughs> out, so oh, we'll right. too. that's
1: too. That's actually a good choice. I think it's. I, I love the dichotomy between something as brutal as Cool Hand Luke uh, and as desperate and 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 dark, and, yeah. and then something as as wonderfully light and and fluffy as uh, Aladdin. Although. I mean, I, one of these days we have to do a Disney show, you know, just Absolutely. to get. Yeah, well, we'll just let Mary Claire have a microphone, and <laughs> yeah. you and I will go away. I'll just, I'll, I'll just pull the plug right out and be <laughs> yes. like, "See you at the end for the." I'll hit the mute up. button. Yeah. So, um, okay. Well, those are oh, great. Hold on now. Oh, what? Yeah. I,
2: prefer, I do have a, a secret thing I wanted to bring in here. Uh, this day in movie history, and I'm just going to see if you guys can guess this one. Now, this is we're recording this November 5th, mm-hmm. so this is today in movie history. Okay. So it was November 5th. 1955
1: 55 anything anyone
2: remembers about November 5th
1: 1955 God no um, on
2: this day in history
1: well give us another hint mm, it's really a toughie uh,
2: <laughs> one of the most uh, one of the best films of the 80s Running Man well, if you're just going to guess movies, no.
0: <laughs> well, it. Uh, that anniversary is this week, too. Okay,
2: but, go ahead. All right, here we go. On this day, nineteen on November 5th, 1955, uh, Doctor Emmett Brown was hanging a clock in his uh, bathroom, oh. and the porcelain was wet. He slipped, banged Back his head, the and that's when he imagined the flux capacitor, the thing <laughs> that makes time travel possible.
1: So you're saying the the character the fictional who, event, the fictional event. It's only you're...
2: fictional because time has been changed. I see to
1: cover up to cover these it, events. Yeah, okay. All right, thanks for that contribution. You. That'll be go. cut out of the podcast. <laughs> there you go. Um all right. Anyway, we're going to move on to the Q&A. Um we have uh
0: three Yeah, qu- we have a few reader questions. questions. Yeah, go so, ahead. I guess I'll start. And this ugh, I've had this question myself. I mean, so when somebody wrote in, "What do I do if I'm less interested in my protagonist as opposed to, you know, some of the other characters?" Mm.
1: Yeah, well, the villains are always a lot more interesting. Um I don't, you know what, I mean, the best thing to do is just remember that the story ultimately has to uh, ent- entrance the audience from a protagonist standpoint. People may like villains, but they don't want them to succeed. Unless, I guess, unless you're Hannibal Lecter, and you mm-hmm. can eat the psychologist who you hate. Um, but what, what, what I end up doing is just writing what I'm feeling at the time. And if that's a lesser protagonist or a lesser interesting protagonist to me, I just have to use my professional skills, which you've got to buckle down and just do that and just go back and fix the protagonist. I I think if a protagonist is weak, it probably leads to being the character not being defined as well as he Mm -hmm. could be. And also uh, a lot of what drives a villain is the same thing that should drive a hero, which is the ghost. So whatever haunts the, the hero, if that's not strong enough, if you can't create an obsession in that main character via the ghost, then I don't think you're succeeding uh, to make the protagonist as interesting as possible. The villain will be more interesting because you can do more things with him, um, like the supervillains in Bond. They're just not – they just don't care about people. They just – they'll do whatever they want. But look how interesting Bond is but, but because he's basically a reflection of those characters because he has the same things that drive them, and that's the ghost. So I would I would uh, I would I would look at your background of your main character. If you really can't solve that problem, write the script and see what comes out of the writing, and then go back and fix it. Okay,
2: I'll, I have a question, uh, Mark. You have been called the king of sequels. Oh Jesus! So uh, our uh, our question is: Are sequels a valid option for a spec or sample script, or is it a waste of my time and resources? So this person definitely seems to have a chip on their shoulder. <laughs>
1: Um, there's, there's probably any answer I give would probably be invalidated by somebody's experience. But this is
2: your experience. Yeah.
1: Well, I never wrote a sequel for anything that I didn't get paid for. So, um, I think it would be a waste of time. Uh, here's the problem. You're writing characters that are already created. You're writing a world that's already been created. You're not really showing your creativity. You're showing more your craftsmanship. Which is certainly a big part of any uh, writing assignment or getting hired, but at the same time, producers look, I think, look at it and say, "Well, what's original about this? Unless you come up with something so like, um, well, it's not really a sequel, but years and years ago, there was uh, Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas. A writer wrote a script. I can't, I can't remember the name of it specifically for them, um, which and their and the kind of characters who they were. Oh, was this and, tough guys? Um, yes, mm-hmm. tough, guys. tough guys. Yeah. So thank you for that. So. Um, so in something like that, I could see, but I honestly don't like it. Like if you were going to write a Star Wars sequel, well, that's fan fiction. There's a ton mm-hmm. of it on the internet. Uh, if you saw an obscure movie and you thought, well, that would make a great sequel, it might, but nobody would have seen that movie. Um, the the caveat in this is if you go to a, if you know you're meeting with a specific producer, let's say you have an in and that, like I did this with um, Escape from New York Um the woman who I first met in this in this business was named Riley Ellis. She was responsible for discovering Shane Black. And I got my first meeting with her, mm-hmm. uh, my first film meeting. And in during that meeting, she raved about the movie Escape from New York, the John Carpenter film. And so what I did is the next time um, I knew she was looking for something, I wrote a synopsis for a movie that takes place in uh, Griffith Park, where a young... Um, Ex gangbanger is caught in Griffith Park, and a gang was chasing him. And that, in other words, I overlaid Escape from New York into the synopsis, and I got a meeting with uh, Bruce Lee or Brandon Lee because of it. They brought me in to talk to him and pitch him. I didn't get; he didn't take the movie. But um, I became friends with Riley Ellis because of that. So, if you know specifically that somebody's looking for something, I would say yes. Otherwise, I think it's just an exercise in futility. It'd be better if you wrote your own original material. Okay we have any other more questions?
0: Yeah, and how would you maybe describe subtextual dialogue?
1: Oh, yeah. We we talked about this in class this week. Um, Subtextual dialogue is just basically metaphoric dialogue. You're saying something without being on what they call on the nose. Instead of saying, I love you, uh, you set up a situation where a character – like, for instance, in Friends, there was this gesture that they did where they Mm -hmm. banged their fists together, meaning F you. And so every time they did that, it metaphorically, they said F you, but they weren't saying the words. So I can't think of a I can't think of a, a, a dialogue example uh, off the top of my head. But for instance, let's say you're writing a romantic comedy and your character um, is well, can't say I love you to his girlfriend. So let's say that you set it up so that she says she thinks the most romantic gesture that means I love you is when somebody kisses her hand, like uh, somebody she loves kisses her hand. And then at the end of the movie, you have him, instead of say I love you, you have him kissing her hand. So you're creating subtextual uh, situation without the, without the dialogue. So that gestures can also take the place of, uh, of subtextual dialogue. But if anybody, anybody think of an example of uh, subtextual dialogue, I can't. Yeah, I mean
0: a lot of times I see it in narrative or action, and so hmm. subtextual dialogue is it's difficult. <laughs> well, and that's I, what makes it so much more interesting. Well, but, what's
2: funny is I, I think that subtextual dialogue – which might be reflective of my work, but it's like that's what it should be, mm-hmm. because rarely are we totally on the nose. And when you read something that is on the nose, it kind of clangs sometimes.
1: Yeah, sometimes I think there's a there's a danger in trying to be subtextual with everything. Though. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dorothy Parker, who's a um, a novelist, oh, uh, well, she's dead, but I think she's dead. I'm sure she's dead. Oh yeah, Dorothy Parker. Yeah, um, she was famous for her subtextual dialogue. There was a story about two uh, a newlyweds on a train. And the guy—they were heading toward their honeymoon, but the guy was suggesting that they should have sex that night. And of course, the bride was not sparking to it for whatever reason. But it's a good example. I can't remember the name of the story. Um, I'm gonna pull it up. I believe it's called Ch-ch-ch-ch. "Here We Are." Here we are, Dorothy Parker's short story. Here we are. Yeah, and there was also another one called "You Were Perfectly Fine," um, which is really wonderful. But that's a good. Those are good examples in literature. I wish I could. I mean. There's so many good writers out there. I, you know, Aaron Sorkin, a lot of those guys really do work with subtext. But just think of subtextual dialogue as saying something without actually saying the words. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying "I love you," say "I hate you," uh, meaning "I love you" or something like that. It's just a different way to approach. Sometimes it's very um, emotionally charged, but yeah. a lot of times it just takes the place of the on-the-nose dialogue. Mm-hmm.
2: So, yeah, there's a there's a there's a concept called um, uh, in, in in graphic art called negative space. Mm. And with negative space, it's where you define something by actually defining the shape around right. it rather than the thing itself. Right. That's a good example. And there's examples analogy. like FedEx logo. The FedEx mm-hmm. logo has that little arrow in it, but it's you don't see it. It's immediately, created by right. the F and the the edX part. Um, so I think with subtextual dialogue that's that's how you do that. Right. Oh
0: yeah, I have a good example. Here we go. I think this is it. So okay. when you're talking about I love you, so in the movie Ghost, Patrick Swayze's character. Doesn't say I love you. He just says ditto. She's oh, um, and yeah. so when uh, you know, so he of course does uh, in the film. And um, Oda Mae, Whoopi Goldberg's character is working with Demi Moore, and she's saying, "I'm talking to your, you know, your husband in the afterlife." And she's like, "Prove it to me." And she says, "He loves you right now." And she's like, "He would never say that." And she goes, "Ditto," and that yeah. you know, and then she she knows that it's true. Sure, because, it's tied to yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly. and and subtextual dialogue in in most cases relies on uh, some sort of setup. Uh, in the movie because right. if you don't know what ditto, ditto means it doesn't mean anything so that has to be set up so it's a it's a holistic approach to, to better writing and if we can do it we can do it if you can't just practice it, it yeah. It's it's not easy but it's not that hard either mm-hmm. so all right. Great questions. Thank you very much. Um, where can they send us questions, questions, questions?
0: So you can reach us at PlotPoints.com if you want to send in your questions there, or you can call us at 919-SCRIPTS, and we'll uh, play your question on air. All
1: right, and don't forget our podcast is available on plot, PlotPoints.com with links to iTunes. Um, you can find us on iTunes. Um, where we're, We have a presence, uh, somewhat. Um, Okay, so instead of uh, me doing a uh like a wrap up, uh what would you call it? Uh I don't know. Um we're going to talk about a little bit about something that Toby touched on which was um OC screenwriters and what we're doing, but also uh this next event we have coming up on November 11th, which is James Bond's birthday. <laughs> um which is is going to feature Frank uh Professor Frank Chindamo who is a new media expert but let's talk a little bit about OC screenwriters um both Mary Claire and Toby are board members as was Larry and Victor who have been on this podcast um i think i'd like to get uh, Shadi involved at some point too she's she's pretty spectacular mm-hmm. but um we have a a group of men and women who work uh on a volunteer basis M- my original concept in 2009 well, actually, I had come up with the concept a couple of years previous, but I couldn't find uh, the right thing to get it started. And, um, Larry came into my life via another friend, a mutual friend of ours and offered a way forward. And so, um, that we've been working on it since 2009, but we're not, we're, we're, not an official 501c3, so we can't claim a charitable deduction, but we're nonprofit. We, the, the events we put on, I barely break even. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know uh, – it's getting more expensive to do these, so I don't know if that's even going to be the case. We may have to raise our prices. But they're, they're basically m- – my original intent was I see a lot, I saw a lot of my students going to L.A. to hear people speak. And I thought, well, I know a lot of people down here or up there. Why don't I just bring them down here when I can? And so that started – we've had James Elroy, uh, Kevin Sorbo, uh, Clark Peterson and his wife Stacey Rukeiser. We've had some amazing speakers down here, people who are are truly uh, movers and shakers in Hollywood, and we used to do them at the theater in um, Costa Mesa, the uh, the Regency uh, uh, South Coast Regency South Coast Mm -hmm. Village, yes, South Coast Village, yeah. But now we do them at the Claim Jumper. We add we add it to lunch or a brunch. So um, so if you can at all, uh, if you're here's the thing. This guy that's coming uh, next week is talking about new media, which. We haven't had anybody like this before, right? That's right. Yeah, we've we've mostly had producers, and director uh, producers, a couple directors, and writers. Uh, we had um, we had some great writers. We had the guy who did uh, Warren Lewis, who did
0: Black, Black Rain, Rain
1: yeah. and uh, the Thirteenth Warrior, which is a great movie. And so it's always great to have these guys who talk to us directly, as far as screenwriters. But this guy. This is – I'm marketing this as you don't need an agent. Yeah. Well, so,
2: right. I, I think what we've learned, especially it's, – it's unfortunate. Vic, Victor's not here. The way that the um, – that ecosystem is changing is that now there's a lot more opportunity for people who are, are just going to do it themselves. Right. And if you're not prepared to DIY, you're, you're sort of beholden to the original – model right. but now more and more people are using uh, YouTube self-promotion creating their own things and we as screenwriters and aspiring screenwriters have to adapt to that because we're going to have to make friends outside of our skill set mm-hmm. with people that do that if, if we're not prepared to because it's harder and harder to put your script in front of somebody that can make that decision and it's easier and easier to put a link in front of somebody right. and they can watch a, f- a short film
1: well the other thing when you go viral or you get people talking about your work from a YouTube perspective, it gets passed around organically as opposed to you. There's, it's almost impossible to put anything in front of anybody in this business uh, cold. So you, and even if they do accept this kind of stuff, they need release forms and stuff, but nobody without an agent, you're dead. And so it's harder and harder to get agents. Agents don't have enough uh, jobs for the clients they Mm -hmm. have, let alone the new ones coming up. So, Going like Mama, the the Guillermo del Toro Mm -hmm. movie, was a short. um, Lights Out. Have you ever seen that short? I have not. It's freaking scary as shit. It's a woman walking down a hallway. Mm -hmm. She shuts off the light, and at the end of the hallway, there's a shadow of a person. And she turns on the light, and it's gone. She turns it off, and it's there. And so it it goes on like that. for. It's really kind of terrifying. But that was a short that was made into a feature-length movie. Yeah. Um, I have a few other examples. Yeah, I mean, many.
0: There's so many examples. Yeah. Even it's I talked to a few weeks ago about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Rachel Bloom. Sure. That was. they sure. Found her on YouTube. Um, even, even people like Lena Dunham. She was found. Um, you know, making a short film. You know, yep. like getting that type of exposure. Also, and so I think it's great. And I,
2: th- I think just to jump in, it, this is not a flash in the pan. This no. it, it's been like this for over 20 right. years. Yeah. Um, uh, South Park. Mm-hmm. was orig- the original Christmas South Park sport, yeah. was the was uh, the Spirit of Christmas, which was a, a, a pre-YouTube viral video. I mean, mm. it was viral because guys were it's recording it on VHS tapes yeah. and right. passing it around. Right. And that got on the right person's radar. Mm-hmm. And then they got South Park and, and they've built a, a, a large career from that. This mm. is not like a... Oh, they're huge. You know, it's not like if you have one funny cat video, you're going to be able to buy a house, but you're going to get your foot in the door. Right. And if you've got the skills... To, to back that up and keep that going that's going to be how you get into having a career yeah. i have a, a a close friend he's uh involved in new media and he was originally an agent he was working in an agency and he was he had uh, clients and that kind of thing but he just realized like you were saying you have a a, a bottomless supply of of these people that want to you just well, have to give them the thing but then he came across these other people that weren't even waiting for you to give them the thing right
1: we i mean you start with your facebook page or your or your linkedin pages or your instagram or whatever your twitter you post the video the link and hopefully if it's good people will pass it along and it, it's a viral i mean that's how you get infected with success as you you go viral and you get that that uh yeah. the, the return the thing about lights out i'd be interested um on your take on the video, because it's so, I think it's shot with one camera. It's so simple. I mean, I know that they did sound and stuff like that, and the editing is always, you, you, editors are amazing human beings because they really do pull a film together, but it looks like it was just dead simple. It looks like it was shot in somebody's home, um, with one camera, you know, possibly a sound crew or whatever, and an actress, and uh, that, that's it. Two actresses, I guess, but that's it. So I, that's not beyond anybody's means, mm-hmm. especially with an iPhone, if you have the editing mm-hmm. software and stuff like that right I mean that's I've never tried to edit a movie on an iPhone, but um yeah, I know it's possible, yeah, absolutely yeah.
2: But Back it's when possible. I was in school yeah, back when I was in school, uh El Mariachi, oh, this is a great movie, it was only yeah. eight thousand dollars right it's right. also a great movie
1: well, it's a great movie, and then it was picked up, and they enhanced it um and yeah. like I said, with lights out and Mama and um a whole bunch of'. them, those that uh, like Guillermo del Toro saw the concept for Mama and thought it was the most frightening thing he had ever seen. Now imagine that guy's head, yeah. uh, and what that must be. But it was, and it was. I don't know how they did the effects. It was pretty. Yeah. It's pretty gruesome. But um, anyway, um, so this podcast will drop uh, the day before this yeah. uh, this event, yeah. and I would highly recommend if you're listening and you can come to come to the event. Um, well, we always have a great time, and Frank is just um, – there's a, if you want to sign up and get the newsletter, mm. well, you can go to OCScreenwriters.com and look at some of Frank's uh, material. But I made a newsletter based on Toby's suggestion with some videos that he had done, yeah, uh, which I thought was a great idea. But um, it, it's it looks like it's going to be terrific. Well, because
2: I, I think – because Frank is going to tell people how they can do it. He's mm-hmm. not just going to show what he's done and say, look right. how smart I am. Right. He's going to say – this is what you want to do. Here's how you can do it. If you're in uh anywhere, like we're in Orange County, we're an hour from LA, but if you're in the middle of the country, right. you're That's not a near LA. Point. It's like, you know, you still have access to YouTube and it's about getting it getting it online, mm-hmm. getting it available, knowing who to show it to, knowing how to do
1: it. And and well, just to, you know, do don't try to hit a home, don't do it specifically to go viral. Do your best work. Uh speak from your heart, whatever that is, whatever that that entails with you. Certainly, keep in mind that you want something that's interesting enough. Um, Shadia and us and mm-hmm. we talked about her wanting to go viral yeah. at some point. It's the same same process. She's a director; uh, she writes her stuff, but she also directs it. But she, you don't. There's got to be people in your life who are directors, mm-hmm. producers, sound people can tell you, can help you. Don't call Toby for free editing, though. He no. is, he's, no, please don't. He's done with that. That's so. the other
0: thing about the events as well that I do want to point out. I mean, it's a great community to be mm. a part of, really supportive. There are editors who are yeah, coming to the events. There are directors who are there. So it's a really, really supportive community that we have, which was really nice. Because um, you mentioned like there are so many people. Uh, but a lot of times when you're in a new area, though, you're like, are there? Are there other people who are like-minded like I am or who well, want you to talk can, about scripts? That's yeah, how you, you came really into my class. Me. Yeah, right? with, with – you know, open arms. And so um, coming to the events, it was really, really great just to see sort of the energy in the room and, and understand that there is a real community here that promotes this and is here to help.
1: Yeah, I wish it was more active. I think Orange County has, le- if you walk into any liquor store in LA, somebody's handing you a script mm-hmm. or a card or something in the movie industry. But having said that, there are some really terrific people in this community, especially my board of directors uh, for OC screenwriters who have, you know, I. it's not like we work our uh, work our asses off every day. But when we do these events, it's a lot of uh, effort and then putting on the event and the post event and stuff. So by the way, post event, we'll be going to the bar. So come along, <laughs> yeah. come on down. Well
2: And I, I don't want to embarrass you, Mark, cause you're right here, but, um, what you get out of it, um, is, can't be measured. Like it, it, this only happens because you want it to happen. You, you make it happen. We help, but it's, you I make know. it happen. And, um, You know, you learn things obviously because you're paying attention. But this is this is it's a very generous thing you do, and 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 if you, I want to make sure that you know that's appreciated. That's why we donate our time, our efforts, our contributions because we don't know much like putting the work in front of somebody. We don't know who's going to get something out of Mm. this, but we're going to help them because karma is that thing and and maybe it helps us absolutely and uh but but you know uh, well thank
1: you and the only look i do it i do it for my own reasons uh, some of which are are benign and some of which are evil Mm
2: -hmm. i know that there have been projects that have happened because people have met through oc screenwriters and said i do this i do this yeah yeah. let's put the chocolate and the peanut
1: butter together and (laughs) Mm. well one of the board of directors um did a short for OC we we did a short called Make It Real uh called Harvey the Monster Racist. and based on that uh collaboration he met a bunch of people and ended up collaborating with the guy who Gus who brought him the weapons mm-hmm. for the shoot and they ended up making a feature um so you know we're also coming we also have hopefully we have another Make It Real um event or um contest coming up so uh, thanks to my co-hosts and uh, uh, for a, another wonderful podcast. Um, we um, will be back uh, in two weeks, but without Toby, he'll be in um, – I will be in Chicago. 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 Okay. and uh, But we'll have – I think we're going to have Shadia here, mm-hmm. so it'll be fun. She's always uh, always a joy. Yeah. Um, so um, that's all for, for now, and thank you very much. If you have any suggestions, please send them to –
0: PlotPointsPodcast.com.
1: Yes, and then also 919 Scripts, which you can call in and leave a message. All right, so congratulations again, MC and Mike, uh, Mm. for a wonderful uh, nuptial, and I wish you the best uh, going forward. You guys are great together. Um, And Toby, uh, if I don't, I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk, but if I don't, have a wonderful festival. Thank you. Um, Thank you for your great suggestions on the newsletter.
2: I I, I, I know we're trying to get out of here. Those resources are out there for the listener to take advantage of you know mark collects this information together it's all being put in one place if you want to know you can find out yeah Mm -hmm. i
1: that's i couldn't set it any better so okay thanks guys full uh be inspired and uh do good work take care